Morning, guys. How's everybody doing this morning? I'm Bobby Crotty, and uh, one of the fun things I get to do here on Watermark staff is to uh, lead this group. And so I uh, just wanted to say a word of thanks uh, to you guys for being here and thank some other folks who have served. Uh, you've seen them from the parking team outside that's still outside being uh, working, so they don't know they're being thanked, but uh, our guys back in the AV booth, our guys out who are greeting and uh, serving at the welcome desk, uh, just let's give those guys a big round of applause. I'm also grateful for uh, uh, your summit leaders. Those guys do a lot of work that you just don't even know about, uh, and we're grateful for those guys especially. Um, one more big thank you I need to say, and she's not here either, but uh, this is Le Holly Lester's last summit. She is going to be, uh, um, um, I, I shouldn't use the word retiring because she's getting ready to be busier than she's ever been. Uh, she's expecting in July, and so uh, uh, some of you got to meet Kendall Ellison, who will be taking her place. Uh, but stop by out here um, on your way uh, back to your cars after you get done at 8 o'clock. Holly will be out there, and go by and tell her thanks and give her a big hug because uh, she's going to need it. She's getting ready to uh, uh, do things that she'd never expected to do, uh, and most of them begin with poop. So um, there you go. Um, one way you guys can help us especially is by filling out the survey that we send out at the end of uh, each summit. Uh, tell us the truth, uh, but do it in a nice way. That really helps us. Uh, and uh, um, your feedback about uh, uh, how we've done, the things that we could start doing, the things we should stop doing, the things that we need to keep doing uh, will really make a difference in helping us make next fall uh, even better. So, we will finish the book of Romans next fall. We'll start with chapter 8. What a great place to start. I think that's why Keller probably divided it like that, so that the second book starts on a uh, great note of uh, Romans 8. Um, we'll have our men's breakfast on September 13th, and then Summit itself will start on September 27th. We'll do uh, eight weeks again and finish the book of Romans. So uh, come on back and join us and tell your friends. Uh, they don't need to have done the first half of Romans to come join us this fall. And finally, um, guys, we have saved the best for last, okay? We have uh, um, my dear friend Jermaine Harrison who's going to get up here. Um, all of you who have high school kids know Jermaine, and they love Jermaine, and you will too after you hear him speak. Um, he will be the first Jamaican to be up here speaking at Summit, okay? Now, I don't know about you guys, but every time I hear a Jamaican accent, I go, man, that guy is smarter than I am and better looking than I am, and you'll see that it's all true as Jermaine gets up here. So come on, Jermaine. I don't want to take any more of your time. I don't mean this. I got this. Thank you. Love you, pal. Go get him. <laughs> I don't know about leaving the best for last, but I'm so grateful to be able to be with you guys um, this morning. Like Bobby just said, my name is Jermaine Harrison. I've uh, served on staff here with the high school ministry for the last uh, four years and been around Watermark serving um, uh, for about uh, six years now. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity and the privilege of getting to be, be here with you this morning to teach uh, and share with you from God's Word. And so we're in Romans chapter 7. 
And it's a very interesting chapter with lots of uh, maybe challenging little pieces in there, but I hope that you've gotten a chance to read through t- uh, Tim Keller's book and, and his, his thoughts on chapter 7, which are really helpful uh, for this message. All right, so basically what he's talking about in chapter 7 that we'll be covering this morning is the believer's ongoing struggle with sin. The believer's ongoing struggle with sin. I love to pray for us, and then we'll dive in and see what God's word has to say for us. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all these men that woke up early um, and drove and and got down here to to learn from you and to learn from each other as they they gather together in rooms and circles and, and talk about what they've learned and what you're doing in their lives. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak through me and that you would soften all of our hearts to be reminded of the truth from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'd love to start with a story that I think kind of illustrates uh, what Romans 7 is talking about. Um, Now, don't judge me, but back in December, uh, I got a speeding ticket. And I'd love to tell you the story of how how that happened. It was a Saturday early on in December. I was listening to Christmas music. Joy, you know, filled the air. My windows were down. I was driving down Royal Lane, heading over to my my girlfriend. who She lives at her parents' house. And so I was driving on over there trying to make it on time. And so because I was trying to make it on time, I was driving a little fast. And so I stopped at the, uh, the tollway light. And right after that light, I start speeding away again, getting ready to get to her house, and I see these two guys in huge brown jackets just walk out into the middle of Royal Lane, no lie, and at first I think, man, these are probably some biker guys, they're trying to, you know, stop the traffic so that the bikes can come out of this, you know, this parking, this parking area, Um, but the closer I got to them, I realized they were not biker guys at all, and they basically called the the, the first car in every row uh, off because we were all speeding like everyone does on Royal Lane. And they pull us off and, you know, he, he starts telling me, hey, you've been speeding. They're basically hiding with their laser thing and they, they check your speed and then they walk out in the road and pull you over. So I got a ticket and I was frustrated. I was mad in the moment. I was like, are you kidding me? People behind me are driving 60 miles an hour on a 35 mile per hour uh, speed limit road and nothing's happening to them, but here I am uh, receiving judgment, right? And paying, paying the penalty to the tune of about $300. Oh, I hate giving away free money. Uh, But there's a funny thing that happened right after I got that ticket. I mean, you could not get me to break the law. I was in the slow lane everywhere I went for the next couple of weeks. If the speed limit was 39, you better believe I was going 30. If it was 70, I was going 63 just in case because I did not want to experience the judgment again. But then... Just a couple weeks later, you know, that fear kind of wore off. And as time went along, I began to rationalize. Oh, it's, it's okay to just go over the speed limit just a little bit, just to go over it two miles an hour or, or three miles an hour. It's okay. I began to move from the slow lane to the middle lane. And before you knew, know it, I was back in the fast lane, and I was going about my business. 
But you know the purpose of getting a speeding ticket, right? The purpose is to remind you of the danger of going over the limit and to remind you that driving the speed limit keeps you safe and keeps everyone around you safe. It's a system set up for my benefit, for your benefit, for everyone's benefit. But somehow, I find myself, and probably you do too, breaking that law that's set in place for my benefit. And the reason I tell you that story is that it illustrates what Paul argues or discusses in Romans chapter 7. You see, an amazing way of life has been set up for you and I. An amazing system under which we can live, which is meant to benefit us, to protect us, to preserve us, to give us life. And Romans 6 tells us, as you heard last week, and I'm sure the weeks passed from uh, the, the speakers, that Romans 6 says that we are dead to sin. We are alive in Christ. And we are slaves to righteousness. This new way of living. But from your own experience, you probably can agree with me that your desire to, to sin, that pull to seek your own desires and your own pleasures doesn't just go away because of the amazing work that Jesus did on the cross and our faith in that. And so, so what do we do with that? Paul is asking the question in Romans chapter 7, how do we walk in faithful obedience to God along the Christian journey? How do we walk in faithful obedience to God along the Christian journey? So like I said, his, his kind of main idea or the main topic that Paul discusses in Romans 7 is the believer's ongoing struggle with sin. And so we'll look at a few verses um, from this passage, and I'll just kind of walk through three points this morning really quickly so that you can dive in and discuss with your groups. And the first point that we look at is Paul's soteriology and the purpose of the law. Soteriology is just a big fancy word for uh, the gospel or the doctrine of salvation, right? So Paul's soteriology and the purpose of the law, and then we'll look at what does the believer's regular struggle with sin look like? And then finally, we'll look at how do we, how do you and I emerge victorious over sin? So let's jump in on that, that first point, that Paul's soteriology and the purpose of of the law. And there are a couple of things that I'd love for us to just kind of to, to lay the, the groundwork to make this point that Paul is trying to make as he, he illustrates and explains to us why the believer continues to struggle with sin and how we can uh, emerge victorious. So the first thing I want to tell you is that salvation, Paul's soteriology is that from the beginning to the end of salvation, it is a work of, of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And salvation kind of includes three words that you've probably, you've probably heard of, uh, justification, sanctification, and glorification, right? And Paul argues all throughout his writings in the New Testament that that work is a work of God. Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of redemption, right? And what that means is Jesus came, he died, he lived a perfect life, and he died a perfect death, and he rose again from the grave, and he offers us that justification, right, when we place our faith and trust in him. 
And as we continue to live our lives, we walk along the journey of sanctification where we become more and more like Christ in our passions, in our desires, in our motives, in our attitudes, in our actions, and with our words. And ultimately, one day, we'll be glorified. We'll be made fully like him because we will see Jesus just as he is, John says. And Paul argues that that whole process is the work of God. Not you, not me, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. And so in in one sense, there's a positional truth, a positional reality that every single one of you, if you've trusted in Christ, is true of you, that the sinful nature that you have, that I have, in some senses, has been crucified with Christ. The sinful nature of the believer has been crucified with Christ, and we are no longer slaves to sin. Right? That's what Romans 6 says. And that's true in a positional sense. When Christ looks at us, he looks at us as slaves to righteousness, no longer slaves to sin, but sons of his. But then, there's also in Paul's theology, a, uh, actually let's look at a verse that kind of describes that. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. It says, for we know, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And from a positional sense, you, me, man, we have been set free from sin. But then there's a practical expression of that in Paul's theology. And the practical expression is this, that believers are in the midst of a war for righteousness. Even though it's true that Christ has crucified your old self and your sin nature on the cross and in ways that we don't even understand, he is transforming us and will ultimately one day fully transform us. And even though that is true in a big, amazing sense, On a day-to-day basis, there's a war for righteousness. Galatians 5, verse 17, Paul says this, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict, a war, with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. And so while it is true that you are fully saved, God is continuing to sanctify you and and one day will glorify you, at the same time you are wrestling with that sinful nature that has been crucified with Christ. And so to just kind of summarize that, you can take a picture of it as it comes up on the screen. Uh, This is the the, the thought to summarize that. Positionally, a believer is, is fully justified, sanctified, and glorified by their trust in the work of Christ. While at the same time, from a practical standpoint, we are fully justified, but we are continually being sanctified and awaiting glorification. You can take a picture of it or I'll send you the notes or whatever the case is. Or another way to say it is this. While our old selves have been crucified with Christ on the cross, as long as we live in, fallen, in a fallen, broken world with fallen, broken human bodies, the magnetic pull and desire of sin will continue to wage war against us, against our re- regenerated minds and hearts. And so in Romans 7, Paul is addressing this issue. And there's some people who are saying, man, 
Why does the law even have to exist? If it didn't exist, then we wouldn't have a standard and we wouldn't have to worry. And by law, I mean the Mosaic law, the Old Testament system that God set up in the first place. And they're saying, hey, if this didn't exist, if we didn't know what sin was based on the law, we would all be fine. And Paul's like, no, we wouldn't. And let me tell you, let me explain it to you. And so he kind of dives into the purpose of the law. I'd love to do that really quickly and we'll keep going. Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. It says this, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Basically, he's arguing that because there was a commandment that said, do not covet, the sinful broken nature in all of us says, wait a second, why can't I covet? I want to do it. Let me do it. Verse 9, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment, the law that was intended to bring life, that was intended to bring peace, actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity, here's that word again, our sinful, broken nature, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And brought and, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment itself is holy, righteous, and good. And so Paul's point to these people who are saying, hey, the law is bad. If we didn't have it, everything would be okay, is this. No, we wouldn't be. Because we are internally wired. It is our natural desire to go against the, 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 the system that God has put in place for us. And so one way of saying that is God's law was meant to show us, show you, show me that we are wired to disobey. And I know you know this, but I think this is a fun illustration of it. Um, I, I grew up in the Caribbean, as you can tell by my accent. I was born in Jamaica, and then I grew up in St. Martin, Eastern Caribbean. And if you've ever been to St. Martin or if you've ever flown in on a plane, you notice something very interesting. When planes land or when planes are about to take, take off, uh, the, 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 the fence around the, the airport kind of backs up to this amazing beach. And so everyone goes to this beach and uh, as planes are landing, I mean, right where this, the roof of this building is, you are this distance from a plane, like a, a jet, a, a huge plane, because it's an international airport. Everyone wants to come there, enjoy the beach. It's th this close. And also, when planes are about to take off, uh, they kind of go off in that direction, and so the, the, jet f the, the fumes and the air coming out of the jet is coming this way to the ocean. And so, this makes for a very dangerous situation, as you can imagine. And so the, the, the people who are in charge put a law in place, and I'll show you a picture of that law. It says, danger, jet blast of departing and arriving aircraft can cause severe physical harm resulting in extreme bodily harm and or death. So there's a warning sign. There's something that says, hey, don't go close to that fence. When there's a plane about to land or there's a plane about to take off, you need to steer clear of this fence. Okay, that's the rule, that's the law, 
And every single day, this next picture is exactly what you see. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Everyone, you know, wants to come up to this fence. And what happens is sometimes they hold on to the, you know, that kind of chicken wire fence. And as the jet blast is blasting, you literally get blown away. And so they're holding on to the fence and people are like wafting in the air and people are being blown over into the ocean. I mean, every single day. Why? Because they see this sign that says, don't stand here. And their sinful, broken nature says, I'm going to stand there. And there's lots of you in the room that are like, why would I ever do that? And then there's most of you that are like, that actually sounds pretty fun, right? <laughs> and so that law set in place in St. Martin that, that Paul illustrated long ago tells us something true about us, that we are wired to disobey. And the other thing, that, that the other purpose of the law is that God's law was meant to point us to Christ. The fact that we cannot keep it, the fact that the Jews couldn't keep it, in fact, a good Jew would know that, hey, I'm going to offer these, this bull or this goat or this sheep or this lamb or this bird, I'm going to offer it for my sin because I'm unrighteous, because I cannot measure up, and some way, in some, some mysterious, amazing way, by faith, if I offer this, this bull or this goat or this sacrifice, I'm going to be taken care of some way in the future, and if there were an amazing Jew, they would know that this is the truth that was supposed to remind them that in the future there would be a sinless, perfect sacrifice who would offer himself once and for all, and there would be no more need for uh, the offering of bulls and goats. See also the book of Hebrews. So the law was meant to show us that we are wired to disobey, and that God's law was meant to point us to Christ. All right? So the law doesn't, just ca doesn't cause us to sin. It reveals what is already true. So seeking to grow in sanctification by obeying the rules and regulations is an empty pursuit and robs the law of its intended purpose. Moving on really quickly so we can wrap up. Number two. So what does the believer's struggle, regular struggle with sin look like? What does the believer's struggle with sin look like? Romans chapter 7 verses 21 through 23, Paul explains. So he says this, I find this law at work. Although I wanted to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work. And when he says law here, he's talking about, you know, just a, a principle or a way of life. But I see another way of life at work in me, waging war against the way of life of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And so Paul basically argues, hey, because I'm a Christian, because I'm a follower of Jesus, I delight in God's law. I want to do good. But in every one of those moments, there's another uh, way of life at work within me, beckoning me and calling me to it. And so in some senses, Paul is basically saying to you and I, in every moment of every single day, we have the opportunity to choose to be under God's, because this is clear, white, you know, to represent our sinlessness, all this stuff. Uh, we have this opportunity to be under God's protective umbrella, his way of life that he has called you and me to live in that leads to life and peace. 
But at the same time, there's this uh, other way of life with a Nike sign on it saying, just do it, that's begging you to come over there. That's begging you to live a life that's contrary to God. On the one hand, one is saying, live in dependence on God. Be excellent in your work. Be patient with others. Be faithful in sharing the gospel. Be someone that's marked by generosity. And the other one is saying, you can do it all by yourself. Come on over here. Come live under this rule. You can do it all by yourself. You don't need anyone else. Let other people serve. You don't give. You'll have more money for yourself. Don't talk about your faith because it's awkward. Or don't, 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 don't uh, give to the church because, man, you have a lot more things that you've got to worry about. Don't be excellent in your work. Be subpar. It's okay. Come on over. Come live under this way of life. And Paul says that no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long you've been alive, every single moment of every single day, when you wake up, in every decision, in every challenge, you have these two with you until the moment where we are actually glorified. And so that, that, that battle, that war that I talked about is always present. Man, am I going to live under God's protective umbrella that he put in place to give me a life of peace and joy? Or am I going to choose my own way? Choose what's natural to me because of my flesh. So the regular struggle with sin contains, like I said, the struggle to the battle between God's new way of life and our old selves. So how do we emerge victorious and then we'll be done? How do we emerge victorious over sin is our our third point. Uh, The Apostle Paul answers that question. How do we emerge victorious over sin? In verse 24, he says, what a wretched man that I am. Essentially, he's he's thinking about that, that situation that I just illustrated with the umbrellas. He's like, man, I really want to do good. I really want to abide with God, but this is pulling me over here, and I, and I give into it over and over again. What a wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Who's going to rescue me? I'm in trouble when I want to do good. I keep doing bad. What in the world am I supposed to do? But thankfully, he gives us the answer. Verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how do we emerge victorious over sin? Very quickly, we have to understand some truths. One, sin is powerful. It's pull. It's pull in your life no, longer, no matter how long you've been a Christian. It's, it's draw is powerful, so don't underestimate it. Number two, we are not strong enough to overcome it. Don't overestimate yourself. There's some of us in the room who are like, man, I can do it. I got this. If I can just work hard enough, if I can just be disciplined enough, I can do this. I can beat this sin or this addiction or this struggle that I've had in my life for so long. And I'm telling you, Paul is telling you, God's word is telling you, no, you can't. Number three, Satan is hard at work and deep down we all want to sin. At the end of the day, When the dust settles, the truth is we all want to go under that umbrella and and experience the pleasures and experience the desires that we really want to experience. And the devil calls us to it too. Number four, sin is only overcome by surrender to the tremendous 
power of Christ. Sin is only overcome by surrender to the tremendous power of Christ. Every single day, the only way you and I can emerge victorious over whatever uh, sin or challenge may come your way is through the tremendous power of Christ. So in conclusion, until the day when the battle with sin is finally over, we, you and I, have the work of surrendering our passions and our desires to Christ. And the way we surrender is by allowing his word, his spirit, and his people to moment by moment, gifts that God has given to every single one of you in this room. How are you doing at using those gifts to continue to surrender yourselves to Christ? Because it is the only way, not by your own efforts, not by working hard enough, not by being disciplined enough, not by anything else, but then by surrender to the transforming power of Christ in your life, expressed through his word and through his spirit and through his people. And so it's, it's normal to wrestle because you're, you're not glorified yet. It's normal to wrestle and struggle and battle with sin. Galatians 5.17 tells us that. It's even natural to fail because just like those people at the airport, we want to disobey the rules. But it is also normal. It should be the normal experience of every single man in this room to experience victory. Because once again, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He is doing the work. He is sanctifying you. He is transforming you. And he calls you to surrender to that power that powerful way that he's transforming your life. And the Apostle Paul, when he looks at his life and looks at the fact that he wants to sin, he says this, man, if I surrender to the transforming power of Christ, I will emerge victorious over sin. Let me pray that we would, and then you can be out of here. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth. Man, Lord, help us to avail ourselves to the gifts that you've offered to us through your word, through your spirit, and through your people. Thank you for Paul's explanation of the challenge that we all face every single day um, between uh, giving in and submitting and surrendering to our old way of life or giving in to the new way of life that you've offered to us to bring us blessing and life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.